Well, good morning and happy new year to you. I got a promise for you. This is going to be the best sermon I've preached all year. Um, it's also going to be the worst. So there's good news and bad news. But uh, I realized that before this service today. Wow, you know, best I've done all year. So take it for what it's worth. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And I, a few years ago, I went into a fast food place that I'd heard of but never tried. And you're going to figure out pretty quickly which place I'm talking about. But I went in and I said, so I've never been here. What's good here? And the kid behind the counter, and I call him a kid, he was somewhere between 18 and 25. And quite honestly, once I hit 40, I, I lost the ability to tell the difference. But um, I, I, as he gave me an answer that was so smooth and so full of conviction that I, I was just impressed. I had to write it down. He said, we do one thing here and one thing only. We make the best chicken strips you've ever had in your life. We, we have fries too, but there's nothing special about them, honestly. I mean, just between me and you, they're just frozen things we throw in a fryer for you. But we don't have mashed potatoes. We don't have grilled chicken sandwiches. We don't have salads. We don't have multiple kinds of sauces. We only have one kind of sauce because we want to focus all of our efforts on one thing and one thing only, and that is making the best chicken strip you've ever had in your life. We are the Michael Jordan of chicken strips. We are the Tiger Woods of chicken strips. We are the Steve Jobs of chicken strips. So can I help you? And I said, yeah, I think I'd like some chicken strips. And, uh, you know, honestly, they were pretty good. Now, I still prefer Chick-fil-A, but I'll go to this place every once in a while when I want something different. I was impressed with that young man. He had completely internalized his company's mission. He believed in what he was doing, his one big thing. And if you've been in the workplace anytime in the last 20 or 30 years, you know that almost every company has a mission statement of some kind, some carefully crafted one sentence statement that this is what we exist to do. This is our one big thing. This is why we're here. This is what we're all about. And churches have gotten on, on that bandwagon too. I've been in full-time pastoral ministry since 1996, and I can't tell you in the intervening years how many different times I have read books and, and listened to conference speakers tell me and, and read articles, all of who say that if you're a pastor of a church, you need to craft a mission statement for your church and teach it to your people so they can repeat it back to you, and then your church will grow. Now, Full disclosure, I am not an, an expert in church leadership. Y'all should have figured that out by now, right? But with all due respect, I disagree. And, and I disagree for this reason. The church, and when I say the church, I don't just mean First Baptist Conroe. I mean the church, capital C, every church, every, every group of people who calls themselves believers in Jesus. We don't answer to a board of directors. We don't answer to a CEO. We don't answer to the pastor. We don't answer to the staff. We don't answer to the deacons or the 10 top givers in the church, whoever they might be. So we're not like a chicken strip joint. We're not like a law firm. We're not like a construction company or an oil field supply group. Our boss is Jesus, and that's it. I mean, he's the one who calls the shots. He's the one who will judge us. And so what matters is his mission, not my mission not what I say our church should be about, what he says our church should be about. So we don't need a carefully crafted mission statement when Jesus has already given us our mission right here in the Word of God. It's a passage known as the Great Commission. And believe it or not, and some of you, if you've been in church most of your life, like I have, you've probably said to yourself, oh man, I've heard this sermon before, Jeff. Okay, but the truth is, 
Survey was done a couple of years ago by the Barna Group. They asked churchgoers, did you hear that? Not Americans, not self-identifying Christians, churchgoers, people who said, I go to church at least once a month. They asked them, do you know the Great Commission? 51% said, never heard of it. More than half of church-going Christians have never heard of the Great Commission. Another 25% said, yeah, I've heard of it, but I can't really tell you what it is. Only 17% of church-going Christians were able to say to these poll takers, yes, I know what the Great Commission is and give some semblance of what it sounds like. They didn't even have to quote it verbatim, just say something that let the poll takers know, okay, they know what this is. So I hope the percentage in this room in our church is larger than that, but I'm not gonna take anything for granted. First weekend of 2021, which is gonna be the best year ever if I, if, if I get my way, right? If we get our way, first Weekend of 2021, I want us to make sure our minds are in the right place, that we're all pulling in the same direction as a congregation. And that's in this direction, the direction of the mission that Christ set for us. Matthew 28, 16 begins this way. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the setting here is Galilee. That's the region of Israel on the northern end of the nation where Jesus and his disciples have grown up, not down in the south in Judea where Jesus was crucified and buried and rose again. The time period is sometime between the resurrection and the ascension. That's 40 days. We don't know when in that 40 days, but at some point in that period, Jesus and his disciples went back to Galilee and Jesus gave them this commission. Okay, now one, one thing I want you to see are the words, some doubted. This is not what I'm preaching on today. I just, I can't not point this out to you. Those are astonishing words. And, and let me explain why. If, as some people believe, the gospels are just propaganda and the, the writers of the gospels are just trying to prove that Jesus is something that he wasn't, which is divine, then they wouldn't have put some doubted in the account, right? You don't do that if you're writing propaganda, if you're making up a story, you make everything fit into a neat little box. The Bible is not propaganda. It's honest. It says, it says that when Jesus met before his disciples, and probably there were others there too, probably some of the several hundred people who still followed Jesus at that point, some of them seeing him for the first time risen from the dead, they held back and said, I don't know if I can trust my eyes right now. That's how honest the Bible is. What I'm saying to you is this is not made up stuff. This is not legend. This is not myth. This is a true account of a real man, the God-man Jesus Christ, who died to set you free. And what does he say your job is, your one big thing is? What should we as a church be about? What is our mission? Two words, make disciples. Jesus doesn't say that our, our mission is to make good, red-blooded Americans who vote to uphold traditional values. He doesn't say that we're, our job is to make good Baptists who come to church every Sunday and put money in the offering plate. Believe me, I love both those things, but those aren't the mission of the church. We are to make disciples. And that term means something. Now, we can use it today. People say discipleship and just mean, oh, going to church or going to Sunday school or whatever the case may be. 
but disciple in the ancient world referred to a person who literally gave up their job to follow a teacher. If you were a disciple in the ancient world of, of a particular rabbi or philosopher, you better hope you have wealthy parents or a spouse who works hard because you're not earning any money because you've given up everything to follow this teacher. So our job as a church is to make people whose number one identity, whose, whose whole identity is wrapped up in, I follow Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm a husband or wife. Yes, I'm a son or a daughter. Yes, I work at this place. Yes, I go to school here. Yes, I'm, I'm this and that and that. But oh, above all those things, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He is my life. That's our job, is to make people like that because that's what the world needs more of. He says, make disciples of all nations. In the Greek, that, that term is panta ta ethne. Panta means all. Ethne means people. Now it's translated nations. And that can be deceiving because we see that and think, oh, well, you know, Argentina and uh, Algeria and China. And I, I don't know all the world, nations of the world, but you get my point, right? We think of political entities that shift and change. He's using the term from which we get ethnicity. What he's saying is every single kind of person. So it's not enough to have a church in Algeria. You've got to reach all the different ethnicities in Algeria. It's not enough to have a church in Conroe. You've got to reach all the different ethnicities in Conroe. And this was a revolutionary thing to the people Jesus was talking to because they were all Jewish. They had all been taught from the day they were born that they were part of God's chosen people. And they had, they had internalized this idea that that meant that God loved them more. And yes, according to the prophets, God had some vague interest in the other nations, the other peoples of the world, but really, all he really, really cared about was us, the Jews. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I, I want all peoples to become disciples. And then there's that word, go. That one word changed the world. Let me tell you how. In 1792, there was a young British Baptist preacher little known, a guy named William Carey. William Carey uh, was asked to preach as one of several preachers at a pastor's conference in England. And he got up and he gave a sermon in which he used the Great Commission and said, we all seem to think that that was just an, an, an instruction for the early disciples. But I'm here to tell you, it still applies today. God still wants us to go out and take the gospel to the nations of the world. Because as hard as it may be for us to believe, in those days, Protestants did not do mission work. The Roman Catholic Church sent out missionaries. But in terms of churches that believed in that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and the sufficiency of Scripture as our sole authority, none of those churches sent out missionaries. And so when Kerry got up and preached this sermon, the old Baptist preachers in the room all just kind of scoffed at him like, yeah, these young men and their wild ideas. And one of them even said, and I quote, young man, if God should choose to convert the heathen, he shall do so without consulting either you or me. And Kerry, if he hadn't been just a, a, a hard-headed individual, the issue would have died right there. There in 1792, he, he literally begged and pleaded and conjoled and, and remonstrated and all those other $5 words. He basically wouldn't shut up until they finally said, fine, let's raise some money. And they raised enough money to send him and his family to India. And they were like, go. Yeah, be done with you. And that was the beginning of the modern missions movement. Because Jesus said, go, William Carey went. By the way, that's who we named my son after. And thousands have followed in William Carey's footsteps. 
For instance, uh, the Harringtons from right here in our church who are missionaries in Costa Rica and the Fleetwoods from our church who are missionaries in Colombia and thousands more missionaries that you support every time you give your offering to this church. But it's not just about people who give up lives over here to go overseas. You realize that we live in the most uh, globalized, the most, well, the term is global. It, it, it means that the world has gotten smaller. We live in a new age in which you're very, very likely to have several neighbors who weren't born here. And I know, I know we tend to complain about that because we like things to stay the same. I get that. I grew up in a small town. I don't want anything ever to change in that town. I want it always to stay the same. And yet if William Carey were here today, he would say, are you crazy? This is fantastic. You've got an incredible, incredible opportunity. The, the mission field has come to you. I had to give up my life and go to India for the rest of my days. You can just walk across the street. The word go applies to all of us. Go, make disciples of all peoples. And then he says, baptizing. Now, you may notice that when we baptize someone in this church, we say those words, I baptize you, my brother, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. We've just quoted Matthew 28 and Romans 6. You may notice that when we baptize, and this may be different from the church you grew up in, or if you never grew up going to church, we baptize using full immersion. You go completely under the water. And we only baptize people who are consciously committing their lives to Jesus, either that day or at some uh, earlier, sometime in their past. We don't baptize infants. We don't, we don't sprinkle little children who don't know what they're doing. You have to have made a public profession of faith that is credible enough that we think, yeah, you get it. We're willing to baptize you. Why? Well, because we believe that's the way it was done in Scripture. The word baptize, baptizo in Greek, literally means to dunk underwater. And that's the symbolism that God is talking, that Christ is talking about when he commands us to be baptized. It's not a formality. It's not just some kind of little ritual you go through to say, now I'm part of the family of God. No, it is an opportunity to stand before a group of people and say, I'm not the same person I was born as. I'm not the same person I've lived as up till now. Jesus has changed me. And the same way my body goes under this water and comes back up, the old me is dead and a new me is here through the power of Jesus. And through the power of Jesus, when my body dies, it's not staying in the ground. I will live again. All of that happens when someone gets baptized. And by the way, that doesn't mean that our church is better than other churches that don't do it that way. God's going to sort all of that out. And I'm sure he'll have plenty of problems with us. All I'm saying is, we believe we are obeying Christ's command to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all who, are, who become disciples of Jesus. And if you haven't done that yet, if you're listening to me at home or you're here in person and you've not been baptized in that way and you'd like to be, we would be thrilled to give you that opportunity. Just come talk to me after the service or any time. And then the word teach, teaching, he says. You may have noticed, and this may not be the way you grew up, you may have noticed that in our church services, our worship services, at least half of the worship service is somebody standing up here talking. You may wonder, why is that? Why do I, get to, why do I have to hear a speech every week? Well, because hopefully whoever is standing behind this pulpit every Sunday and Saturday is sharing a message based on a passage of Scripture. They're trying to illuminate what God's Word says because Jesus told us to teach. 
When you get involved in a life group, what do you do? You don't just gather and drink coffee and gossip, I hope. You don't, you don't talk about current events. You don't talk about the weather or, or the baseball score or whatever. You talk about a word from the Lord. You, you study scripture. When our Wednesday night services resume on January 20th, there will be a Bible study for children, for teenagers, for adults, several different studies. We are commanded to teach what Jesus told us to do and how to live. And then those words, I am with you always. Now listen to this. He says, I'm with you always. And yeah, that's a very encouraging, that's a very uplifting thought, but it's not a, just a general, I'm, I'm there for you, okay? Jesus is there for you. When you go through hard times, he's with you, but that's not what he's saying there when he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. He's saying, I've given you an impossible mission to fulfill and you can't do it on your own. That's why I'm gonna be with you all the way. Can you, can you make disciples? Can you change people's lives? Of course not, but I can, and I'm gonna use you to accomplish it. Can you, can you put disciple-making churches in every ethnic group on this planet? Of course not, but by my power, you can. What Jesus is saying, and, and I mean this, is that when our church or any other church, when our church stays focused on our one big thing, on making disciples, there's literally nothing in heaven and on earth that can stop us. The gates of hell themselves cannot stand against us. There is nothing that can stop a church that is focused on making disciples because the power of Jesus is behind it and Satan has nothing to match that. On the other hand, the opposite is also true. When our church or any other church loses focus on making disciples and starts to focus on something else, when our one big thing becomes something else, then we're not operating in the power of Christ. And then we start to suffer. And then we start to decline. Some of the things that, yeah, I'm sure if you've grown up in church like I have, you've been part of a church, maybe this one, where you can look back and say, yeah, there was a period where we definitely weren't focused on making disciples. Maybe it was a time of division in the church and you were focused on just getting your own way or or settling some argument. Or maybe it was a time where there was a lot of tumult in society. And so your focus was on, well, we've got to focus on what's going on over here in this one social issue or this one political issue. Or maybe it was, maybe it's about a lot of churches, let's, let's admit The whole focus is just getting bigger, whatever that takes, just drawing a crowd. Some churches, the whole focus is we just got to protect what we have. We've got to resist change. No matter what you think of any of those things I just mentioned or anything else a church might do, if a church is focused on anything other than than, than making disciples, then the power of Christ is not with them. They're not operating in His power. And that church will decline. And there's a lot of reasons, I think, that the American church, capital C, the church of Jesus Christ in America, in every denomination, is not what it once was, is not reaching people like it once did, does not carry the same cultural influence and impact it once did. There are a lot of reasons for that, but one of them, I think, is because for the most part, the American church is not focused on making disciples. That's not our primary goal, and we're suffering because of it. You want to know how serious Jesus was about this? Let me show you this. Three, three other passages, three other things he said. Luke 24, 45 through 48. He said these words to his disciples the day he rose from the dead. This is the first Easter Sunday. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Do you hear that? There's the great commission once again. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm gonna give you the power to accomplish it. Also that same day, John 20, 21 through 23, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. You can't save anybody, but by my power, people's lives will be changed through you. I am sending you out said it twice in one day. And then Acts 1.8, which was 40 days later on the day of ascension, Jesus and his disciples are standing on the Mount of Olives, this little hill that's just right across this little valley from Jerusalem. They're looking, they can see the temple, they can see the walls of the city. Jesus says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then with those words, he rose up into heaven and they didn't see him again. What this means is during the 40 days between Christ rising from the dead and Christ ascending into heaven, during those 40 days, at least four times, he said the same thing. At least four times he said, I'm sending you out to make disciples of all nations and I'm giving you the power to do it. Now, why would Jesus repeat himself over and over again? Because he knows that we're thick headed by nature. He knows we don't get it the first time. And this was an important message. This is not something you say once. Now, what he didn't say was how to accomplish it. He didn't say you have to go door to door and and use the Roman road presentation. He didn't say you send out mail. He didn't say you put up billboards. He left it up to us how to accomplish his mission. I think that's because he knew every local church is going to face a different set of challenges and opportunities and is going to come at it with a different set of gifts and abilities and strengths and weaknesses. So every church has to figure out how do we best fulfill this mission of making disciples in our community and around the world. Let me tell you with the rest of our time, and it's not much, just seven, eight minutes, how we're trying to accomplish this and what we need from you, okay? You may have noticed or you may have heard us say these words. You may have noticed them on our website or on our sign or or the, the church letterhead, three words, and this is our church's discipleship process. This is how we believe we can help you become disciples. Three words, connecting, growing, and reaching. So what that means is connecting. Connecting means we believe every disciple has to connect with God through worship. And let's be honest, God is everywhere, so you can meet God anywhere. You can meet God while you're taking a shower, while you're laying in bed, while you're sitting on your back porch drinking a cup of coffee, while you're driving to work, while you're on a golf course or in a deer stand or shopping for antiques or whatever it is you like to do. And I hope you do encounter God in all those places. But the scriptures are clear that there is something irreplaceable that happens when God's people gather together in worship. In other words, you can be a disciple and never come to church, never come to worship, but you're not a complete disciple. 
You're not growing like you should be. You're missing something key. And, and I say that realizing that a lot of people who are listening to me now are listening to me from home. And we all know why. There, there are two groups of people who haven't come back to church yet. And there's, number one, there's the group that would say, I've, I've been told by my doctor or I've been doing research on this and I know I have a precondition that makes this pandemic especially dangerous for me or my age means that if I were to get sick, I might not survive. And so I think it is wise for me to stay away from crowds of any kind. And if that's you and you're watching me right now, let me just say, absolutely. We love you, we miss you, but we want you to be safe and we're willing to wait. We're gonna keep, we're gonna keep, uh, streaming these worship services online. This is our new normal. Uh, long after COVID-19 is a distant memory, we're still gonna be doing that. So don't worry, you're gonna be able to worship from home as long as you need to. Just know we want you back as soon as you're able. We miss you. The second group that's watching me from home right now are people who would say, yeah, yeah, it's really nice. I get to wake up at a decent hour not wake up early. The one day of the week that I wake up a little bit later, I don't have to get dressed up. The rest of my day goes so much more smoothly when I don't have to throw that, that whole thing of going to church into it. I can worship from home. Good for you. But if you're going to restaurants, if you're going to ball games or shopping, if you've resumed normal life, if you've gone back to work, if you're around people outside of your home on a regular basis anyway, it's time to come back. It's time to come back. We miss you and you need to be here. And I say that not to inflict any guilt upon you because, I mean, you all know this, I'm paid to be here. I say that as a pastor who loves you, who cares about you, and who misses you and who wants what's best for you. You need to connect with God through worship. You also need to grow. Growing means it's not enough just to be saved. I grew up, and many of you did too, in a church where every Sunday there was an invitation. That's, you know, the pastor, my church had 35 people, same 35 people every Sunday, and yet the pastor would get up every Sunday at the end of the service, and they'd play just as I am, or I surrender all, and he'd say, if anybody here needs to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, come up forward. And we still do that. It's just, we don't ask them to come up here. We ask them to meet me in the atrium over there. Same difference, right? The problem is we, we send this unintended message that what matters is that you get yourself saved. And yes, that is incredibly important. But Jesus said being saved is like being born again. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty thankful I was born, but I'm also thankful I didn't stay an infant. You need to grow. And I don't possess any magic fairy dust that can make you grow. But what I can offer you is a group of people who you can be a part of, who will pray for you, who will hold you accountable, who will encourage you, who will serve as examples for you, who will laugh with you and rejoice with you and weep alongside you and visit you when you're in the hospital and give you a good swift kick in the rear when you need it. And we call those life groups. And I understand a lot of you would say, oh, well, it's a Sunday school class. Okay. And frankly, I don't care what you call it. We call it life group because it's not just a Bible study. It is an opportunity for you to have a group that you journey through life alongside, that you share this walk of discipleship with. And I hope you're a part of that. You connect with God through worship. 
You grow through participation in a life group. And by the way, before I move on to the next one, you, you have a responsibility too, to feed your own soul. This past week, I sent out an email as part of my daily devotional email that gave you uh, tools to use to plan how you're going to study the scriptures on your own in 2021. There's nothing you can do that will lead to more spiritual growth than daily reading the Word of God. If you didn't get that email and you want it, email me and I will send it to you. But in the meantime, if you want to get involved in our daily emails, you'll get a, a scripture, a devotional thought, and a prayer All you have to do is go to the website, fbcconroe.org, click Growing. Under Growing, click First Moments Devotions. And when the page that opens up, when you click that, click Sign Up Now. Okay? Internet 101. Get involved in that. That will help us pray on the same direction. Connecting, growing, and then reaching. When you read the Gospels, you see Jesus didn't just instruct his disciples. He sent them out. He sent them out long before you and I would have thought they were ready. He sent them out to do ministry. And then after he he ascended into heaven, he didn't have any reason to believe they were ready for that task. And yet you read the book of Acts and you see them start to fulfill the Great Commission. Within less than a generation, they're being called by outsiders, these men who have turned the world upside down. Within three or four centuries, the Roman Empire is collapsed And yet the church is still going, booming like never before. 2,000 years later, a third of humanity calls Jesus Lord. And only serious history nerds could tell you more than a couple of sentences about the Roman Empire at all. How did that happen? Well, it didn't happen because of only the 11 surviving disciples. They did their best, yes. But the real work was done by ordinary people. Latter-day versions of you and me. People like Philip, a Greek-speaking man, who was the first to take the gospel to the Samaritans and the first to tell an African man about Jesus. People like Priscilla and Aquila, just an ordinary working couple who had this mentality that wherever the church needs us to move, we're going to move. People like Luke and Timothy and Phoebe and thousands more whose names we don't even know, people who weren't apostles, people who didn't have titles. They just loved their neighbors in the name of Jesus. And that's what it takes. That's what it takes. We reach people through relationships. That's always been the way it happens. You don't reach people by signing up for a program or reading a book. You reach people by saying, Lord, who have you brought into my life who needs you and how can I reach them? How can I show them your love? It's it's an ordinary woman who mentors a kid at a local school. It's a guy who goes out of his way to be more than a boss to his employees. It's a couple who's been married for a while, but they reach out to a, another couple who's struggling in their relationship. It's, it's showing up at a coworker's house a few days after she's buried her mom and just sitting with her while she cries and maybe bringing her a casserole every once in a while and checking up on her. It's, it's a kid who chooses to be consistently kind to the kid in class that everybody else makes fun of. It's a family that hears their next door neighbor just lost his job. So they come over and say, hey, we're here to help you. We want to help you meet your bills and your obligations until uh, you can get back on your feet. See, these kinds of things, this is more than just going on a mission trip or, or showing up and doing some random act of kindness. Those are fine, but lives really get changed when we sign up for the long haul, when we say, I'm going to be there for this person as long as it takes. 
When we talk about transforming relationships and 10,000 of them between now and the year 2030, we don't mean all of them have to be with lost people, but some of them will be. And some of those unsaved people are going to see in you something they've never seen before. They're going to see genuine love. They're going to see genuine uh, grace. And they're going to wonder where it comes from. And you're going to have the opportunity at some point in that relationship to say, there is a God who is real and he came and who died for you in the form of Jesus because that's how much you mean to him. And I've been praying since the day I met you that you would come to know him the way that I do. And some of those people are going to get saved and some of those people are going to get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit because you chose to invest in them. So all I'm asking and this is our goal for this year. All I'm asking is that every single person in this room, no matter your age, how long you've been a Christian, every single person by the end of 2021 will be able to say, this is the person or these are the people who I'm choosing to invest in right now. People who I wouldn't even care about or get involved in if it wasn't for Jesus. But this is the person I believe Jesus has brought into my orbit at this particular time in this particular season of life, so that I can love them in his name. And all I'm asking you to say, yes, I'm in. So are you?